You're listening to Time in the Word. Will there be a second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, what does that mean to both believers and non-believers? What does Enoch's prophecy tell us about the Lord's second coming? In part one and two of the study of verses 14 and 15 of Jude, Dr. Gonzalez addresses the doctrine of the second coming and discusses the certainty, purpose, and the result of Christ's return. As God ministers to you through these series of studies and as you experience God's love and grace in your own life, share these podcasts with others so that they too may be blessed by God's word and his amazing grace. Let us listen to Dr. Gonzalez as he continues his current study in Jude. This will be part one of our look at verses 14 and 15 of Jude. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Jude, and I'll start reading in verse 14. I am using the Christian Standard Bible. It was about these that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, Look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. So in this text that we will be studying over the next two study sessions, Jude gets into the doctrine of the second coming in addition to pointing out further warnings of the apostate's consequences. The doctrine of the second coming is associated with judgment. We know that from Revelation 19. The first phase of the second coming, the rapture, is to the Christian his blessed hope, as Paul writes to Titus in 2.13. But to the unbelieving apostate, this is a time of wrath and judgment. Verse 14 of Jude says, It was about these that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, Look, The Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones. If it were not for Jude, we would know practically nothing about prophecy uttered before the flood. Early in the first book of the Bible, it is recorded that there was a great antediluvian civilization. We read of cities, cattle raising, fine arts, education, and manufacturing in Genesis 4, verses 17 through 22. We also know something of the wickedness of those days, Genesis 6-5. But God did not give to his people a written revelation of antediluvian prophecy until his word was almost completed. Enoch was a prophet, the only one from the centuries before the flood whose words have been preserved for us. We're told that the doom of the apostates was foretold by Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam according to verse 14. This prophecy is only found in this epistle. Some think that it is taken from the apocryphal book of Enoch, but we don't have any proof that that spurious book existed in the time of Jude. William Kelly said, and I quote, It, meaning the book of Enoch, has every mark of having been written subsequent to the destruction of Jerusalem, and therefore after Jude's epistle was written, by a Jew who still bowed himself up with the hope that God would stand by the Jews, close quote. Now, we don't know for certain how Jude learned of this ancient prophecy. It is quite possible that the Holy Spirit revealed the words to Jude just as he guided all the rest of the epistles. These verses put Jude into a class with Moses, 
with Paul, with Peter, and other holy men of God who, according to Second Peter one twenty one, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Moses went even farther back into antiquity and wrote the story of creation. Paul named the magicians of Egypt, of whom Moses left no written record, 2 Timothy 3.8, and quoted a statement by Christ not found in the Gospels, Acts 20.35. Peter informs us that Noah was, quote, a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter 2.5, a fact of which we otherwise would be ignorant. We should take these words to heart. The Lord comes, says Jude. We know the Lord's coming is sure. God's people could be caught up immediately or at any moment. What a wonderful and joyous subject, the rapture of the church. Paul wrote in Titus 2, 11 through 14, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. The return of Christ in the rapture is one of the believer's great incentives to live a godly life. R.A. Torrey said, and I quote, The imminent return of our Lord is the greatest Bible argument for a pure, unselfish, devoted, unworldly, active life of service. The rapture is the blessed hope of the Christian. However, we're living in a day when the rapture of the church is under attack. The promised blessed hope of the believer is being rejected in favor of unscriptural teachings and ideas concerning the rapture. Many scoff at the idea of an any-moment rapture. Their unbelief is to be expected in these last days. Peter warned us that in the last days there would be those who would reject and ridicule the idea of the Lord's coming. Listen to what he said in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3-5. through 5. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, Where is his coming? that he promised. Even since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been from the beginning or since the beginning of creation. They deliver, deliberately overlooked this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago and the earth was brought out from the water and through water. Peter's explanation is that such people are willingly ignorant. They have made a conscience choice to reject the truth of Christ's return. However, to the Christian, to the child of God, Christ's return, Jesus' return, is a wonderful and expected event. The scriptures admonish believers to watch and be ready. This imminent return was the hope of the early church. Their popular greeting, Maranatha, or Our Lord Come, uh, such as is found in 1 Corinthians 16.22, expressed their belief in the imminent return of Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the present tense. Paul was looking for the any-moment return of Christ. 
the heart of every believer ought to be occupied with the Savior's return. We also see that the Lord is not coming back alone. He's coming with, verse 14, with tens of thousands of his holy ones. Holy ones could refer to believers who will return with Christ when he comes in judgment. However, the emphasis on judgment here seems to favor viewing the holy ones as angels, since angels appear in other judgment contexts in the New Testament. For example, Matthew 24, 31, 25, 31, Mark 8, 38, and 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. The saints will have a judgment role during the millennial kingdom, but angels will serve as God's executioners when Christ returns. Matthew 13, verses 39 through 41, 49 through 50. Chapter 24, verses 29 through 31. Chapter 25, verse 31, and 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. When Jesus interprets the parable of the wheat and the weeds, he says, and I quote, And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. Matthew thirteen thirty-nine through 41 When presenting the parable of the net... In verses 49 and 50, he said, So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When teaching about the coming of the Son of Man, in Matthew 24, he said, Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31. Paul, in speaking of God's judgment and glory in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, said this, And to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us, this will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. These words identify this prophecy as the second stage of the second coming. So we must keep in mind that the second coming of Christ will be in two stages. The first stage is what we call the rapture. That word rapture means a catching or snatching away, which perfectly describes the prophetic event of Christ coming for his bride. 
In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, Paul said, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. At the rapture, the Lord Jesus Christ will call his people out to be with him forever. Notice that this event will take place in the air. This is the first stage of the second coming, the rapture. Then we have the revelation or the second stage of the second coming. In Revelation 1-7, it says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Now notice that John says, Every eye will see him. This is the second stage of our Lord's second coming. This will take place at the end of the tribulation, when Christ will come back with his saints. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 14. This is the stage uh, of his coming when he brings judgment and after the judgment, restoration of righteousness upon the earth. So the first stage uh, is in the air for his saints. The second stage is to the earth with his saints. Now, during the second stage, every eye will see him. Until recent decades, uh, this was not possible, but now with satellite TV and the internet, every eye will see him. At this time, he will literally come back to earth. Zechariah 14.4 says, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Matthew 24.30 says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The saved in Christ will ride with him when he comes back to the earth in judgment. Revelation 19.14 says that the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. This will be the greatest army to ever ride into battle. It will be the greatest victory ever won. It has nothing to do with the army, but it has everything to do with the leader of that army, Jesus Christ, the mighty man of war. In Isaiah 52:13, it says, The Lord advances like a warrior. He stirs up his zeal like a soldier. He shouts. He roars aloud. He prevails over his enemies. Well, we're at the end of part one of our look of Jude, verses 14 and 15. We will wrap up this section in our next study, part two. Let's pray. Father, help us to be receptive to your precious word. Help us to be attentive to what the Holy Spirit is trying to instruct us and communicate to us. May we apply it to our lives, not only today and tomorrow, but next week and next month and next year. Help us, Lord, remain faithful and steadfast as we seek to continue to contend for the faith, as we seek to share with others the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, for it is in his name that we pray. Amen.